It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What's going on? Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for listening. The show is made possible by patrons like John and Brian and Patty, Sarah and Frank, Lori, David, Grant, Matthew and Yuri, I appreciate all of the support uh, sincerely. Uh, first, it was the churches that sued the governor over his executive order. Uh, and now it looks like gyms and fitness centers are going to be getting in on some of the action. Here is what Governor Cooper said about efforts that are underway to open up some gyms and fitness centers uh, and uh, potentially maybe file a lawsuit. I'm deeply concerned because it can be dangerous. One of the reasons that we are moving cautiously into phase two is that there are a lot of businesses that uh, can easily, just by their very nature, easily cause transfer of COVID-19 from one person to the next. So the health officials in North Carolina believe that uh, we, have, we have gone as far as we can go at the moment. We would ask everyone to abide by the rules that have been set by people who understand the, the health arena and what COVID-19 is doing across the state. Uh, it's deeply concerning uh, when people ignore the order. I'm pleased that most people and most businesses in North Carolina are acting responsibly and are doing the things that they are supposed to do. They may not like everything, but they know that it is in the best interest of the health and safety of the people of North Carolina. And I think it's important to continue to encourage that and discourage that kind of dangerous and reckless activity. Dangerous and reckless, he says. Dangerous and reckless. Kind of like having the wrong mattress. You know, sleep deficiency increases the risk of obesity and ongoing sleep deficiency. It's actually linked to an increased risk of uh, heart disease, kidney disease, high blood pressure, diabetes, and strokes. Uh, It's not good. You got to have a good night's sleep. And uh, if you get your mattress from Mattress Man, uh, chances are you're going to have a great night's sleep because every one of their mattresses will help you get a good night's sleep, and you're going to get the right mattress for how you sleep because their sleep consultants go through six weeks of intensive training so they know how to, uh, you know, fit the right mattress for you. My wife and I, we have the memory foam mattress. We love it. They also sell uh, inner spring mattresses, natural latex mattresses, pillow tops, hybrids. They have adjustable bases as well. So if you've got circulatory issues in your feet, you can raise the feet of the mattress the foot of the bed and it'll aid in circulation if you have snoring problems uh, you can raise the head of the bed and that will help alleviate some of the snoring issues by the way they have the Biltmore collection from Restonic which is made in North Carolina out in Fayetteville and for their Memorial Day sale you get a free box spring with the purchase of one of these awesome Biltmore collection mattresses Uh, you can also get a free adjustable base with the purchase of select other mattresses all you need to do is call or visit the stores for details because some restrictions may apply so you need to see the store for details you can also get 24 months financing with zero percent apr financing uh that is their sleep now pay later finance program which is pretty good 24 months zero percent 
pretty, pretty good. Five-star delivery service, a 120-day comfort guarantee. Buy local, sleep better, and experience the difference at Mattress Man. Reopen NC's Health Clubs has a Facebook page informed with the purpose of filing a class action suit against the governor for keeping gyms and facilities like it closed. Uh, this is in a piece written by A.P. Dillon at the North State Journal, and she joins us now. A.P., welcome back to the show. How are you doing? Thanks, Pete. I'm doing great. How are you? I am doing well. Are you uh, mentally doing well with the with the uh, <laughs> quarantine and the, the lockdowns and such? Well, there's beer for that. <laughs> <laughs> so um, this is interesting because um, the gyms, I guess to know the context of this story, we have to basically go back to uh, not the phase two order, right? But the sort of the original announced phase plan that Governor Cooper first pitched that led a lot of people to believe that everything in was going to start being opened up uh, in phase two. And that's really where the story begins, right? Yes. Yes. I mean, I, I think that there were a lot of people out there. In fact, um, breweries and bars were really floored last week when um, the governor said, you know, we're going to let restaurants open up at 50% and we're going to let hair salons open up at 50% and tattoo shops and these kinds of things. And then, you know, breweries and tap rooms, and bars were left out in the cold. So were gyms and roller skating rinks, bowling alleys, movie theaters, you know, basically any kind of form of entertainment where you would be indoors for it. Um, <clears throat> all of them were left out as well. So the gyms were the ones that were really, you know, upset because they were under the impression they were going to be able to open up at, you know, half percent if they used masks and they cleaned everything like everyone else was doing, you know, and they were able to social distance their clients in their in their facilities. And they were ready and raring to go. A lot of them put a lot of money and capital out to get their gyms ready to go. And then, boom, nothing. They were left out. <laughs> yeah, which is, it's one of the things that has, uh, it's kind of perplexed me because it seems just like an ongoing series of uh, own goals, you know, that the governor's team is, is committing here uh, by by picking certain businesses and industries and doing different rules, you know, the, the one like bowling, I don't like bowling. Really? What, what is it about bowling that requires it to be completely shut down? Are you telling me that the, uh, that these micro particles of exhaled lung juice, like hang in the air in a bowling alley and you can't social distance at a, at a bowling alley. Like you can't shut down every other lane, keep people separated. Uh, yeah. I, I don't understand that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I went and I actually got my hair cut on Memorial Day. It was the first time in, in several months. <laughs> I was well overdue. And they were, you know, the salon that I went to, they were every other chair, you know, and they had their waiting room set up with, you know, the, the seats six feet apart and, you know, hand washing station there and hand sanitizer out. And, you know, the gals were all wearing masks and it was great. And I thought to myself, if we can do this here, where I'm getting my hair cut and I'm sitting there for a good hour or so. I'm not going to say exactly how long I was there because that would tip away with what I do in my head. But um, <laughs> basically I was there for a good period of time along with a lot of other ladies. And um, some of the clients were wearing masks, some weren't, um, but all the staffers were. And I thought to myself, you know, I could, I could be at a bowling alley every other week doing this. I could be, you know, at a movie theater, you know, and they could have every other row closed off and, you know, those things have massive 
um, ventilation systems, just like gyms do, just like large and venue anything does. So, you know, it's it's a question, you know, well, what are we talking about here? You're saying that you can have 25 people in a given space, but you can't, you know, have 25 people in a bowling alley. Uh, okay. Well, this is the science and the data and the facts, I, uh, as I understand <laughs> it. The science and the data and the facts, they keep saying this over and over and over again like it's a mantra. Yeah. And it's marketing. I recognize it for what it is. That if you just keep saying the message over and over again, people will believe it, even if it's not true. Uh, and... Uh, it, it, some of the, some of the research that we now n- know about uh, COVID nineteen, right? Like it's uh, the the the. I do agree with them that like when you sit down in a confined space and you're talking and you're exhaling and you're right. in and around other people for an hour or two, your risks go up, right? I I, I get that. Uh, and so the it's sort of like the uh, the expulsion of the air uh, in a in a fitness center, right? Mm-hmm. If you turn on fans, right, and you wipe stuff down, I mean, fitness centers already wipe stuff down. They've been doing yeah, that they were, for yeah, years. Yeah, they've been doing that for a long time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that, that's part of their, their, their deal because you don't want to be touching somebody's sweaty gear after they're done. I mean, that's just gross. So they've been doing it for a long time and they're just stepping it up, you know? Right. And, and it's, it begs the question for schools, too. You know, I mean, you've got kids here in White County, there's been a huge debate about the way Wake County cleans its cafeterias with just water on their tables. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, that, that, that's been a huge thing, you know, going on here in Wake County. And now they're telling us that we're not going to be able to use cafeterias. Maybe um, that the kids will probably eat in their classrooms and only, you know, the kids who have to get lunch from the cafeteria will be able to leave. There's all kinds of things, you know, talking about how they're not going to let, you know, they were willing to put a, a group of kids in a, a closed space in a classroom and try to social distance their death six feet apart. You know, I mean, can you imagine that, you know, a classroom in middle school or elementary school that's got, you know, between 20 and 29 kids in their, in their desks? There'll be no room for anything else in right. the room besides the desk. So, you know, public schools are not built for social distancing. They're built to cram as many pe- bodies into seats in the one classroom as possible. So right. It's a factory it's model. Be, yeah. Yeah. It's a factory model efficiency. Gyms, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The poor gyms. I, I feel really badly for them. So I picked up on a couple articles, um, or not articles, but posts on Facebook from a couple gym owners that pointed me back to this Facebook group. And they have retained the same attorney that was representing um, Harris Essential Association, the ones, the hair salons that were going to sue if Cooper didn't allow them to reopen. So they have retained Chuck Kitchen, uh, Kitchen and Turrington here in um, Raleigh. And I spoke to uh, Mr. Kitchen last week, and he said that there would be more details coming this week. However, it was looking very much like they were going to be filing for a temporary restraining order against the governor's order. Do you have so, any idea what their uh, what their argument is going to be based on? Um, well, the fruits of the labor argument is there, but also that they feel like they're being treated differently than other businesses. Um, and you know, they've they've laid out in the uh, in their article, not their article, but some of the posts of the the, the folks who founded this Facebook group. They've laid out that they have all the safety precautions in place the same way that restaurants do. So they're, they're, we're being treated differently. They, one person in their in one of their threats called it picking winners and losers, which we hear a lot about in politics. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I have a feeling that they, they actually have a pretty good case, given the fact that some of these gyms 
which were smaller, have, have already said that they would probably have problems reopening. Certain yoga studios are, have said that there's no way that they can they can reopen for those classes. But that the larger gyms and the larger facilities out there are, are looking at are like, we are absolutely set up to be able to maintain health and, and safety and distance. So, you know, we should be allowed to reopen in this, you know, this um, blanket order that's, you know, for all these businesses, it's just not fair. So that's part of the case that they're making. Um, and I have a feeling that it's going to fall on response, um, you know, reactive ears in the courts because you know we saw what happened with churches and how that was being treated differently um but it's also you know religion is it's a sacred institution it's a protected institution are gyms the same level as that no not really but you know the, the ability to go out and to to work out you know it also has an impact on your mental health so there's that argument to be made um but you know i'll be following this along and i think that there's been some other uh, percolations of possible suits coming up from other parts of the um, entertainment industry. I had heard that there was um, another suit that was being considered, and I have to look and see which which industry was looking at it. But I think it had to do with movie theaters and mm-hmm. um, entertainment industry complex. They're looking at it possibly suing because they're they're saying that they can open up. Oh, that's another um, yeah, safely. that's another one that baffled me as that movie theaters. You're telling me you can't rope off seats and create zones for people to come in and sit and watch a movie and then you know then block yeah. off those seats and open yeah. up the ones that well, were closed and clean the ones that people just sat in and and what we're learning now is so much of this it's it's not spread really by contact it's not spread on surfaces and such it's mainly airborne it's a respiratory virus and it's mainly airborne and the the microparticles linger around in the air and uh so if you open windows turn on fans and and disperse it uh into the outdoors then you 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 really limit the uh, the infection spread, which is precisely oh, yeah. why it was spread so fast uh, in the subway system and in uh, the congregate care facilities, congregate living facilities like nursing homes. Yeah, well, it's because there's no movement in those right. places. There's no circulation in those places. Um, you know, New York City subways are. I've ridden them before, and I've ridden ones in London and places like that. And I can imagine them being absolutely the last place you'd ever want to be. <laughs> if there was an outbreak of any kind of virus. Um, but, you know, uh, when it comes to the movie theaters, you know, there are a lot of these theaters these days. They're not just, you know, get your popcorn and sit down. Right. A lot of these places serve meals. They serve their, they are part restaurant, part movie theater. Right. So, you know, are they considered restaurants and can open or are they considered entertainment movie theaters and have to stay close? I mean, it's, there's <laughs> there's a lot to be considered with the different kind of businesses that are out there. It really is. It speaks to the fatal conceit of all command control economies and philosophies. The idea that a few people in charge can, as you said, you know, pick winners and losers. But uh, just this this conceit that you have the ability uh, to know all of the different types of businesses that are out there and how they operate, what they can and cannot do. And so we shall deign to let you open, but not you. Uh, and uh, we'll tell you how to reopen your business, not knowing anything about your business or how you can do it. You know, it's it's I've, I've been saying this for weeks. It's not about essential and a non-essential business it's always been about can you do the job safely treating the the, the one size fits all thing you know it's what it boils down to here and it's it, it's not 
just the businesses. It's also applying the one size fits all to the county level. There's some counties out there that, you know, they've had like what, five or six cases, some of them in Western North Carolina, everything they're near the mountains where there's more bears than people, mm. you know, and they, they have very low case counts, like one or two, no deaths, but yet all the businesses in their region, because of the statewide order, they can't open. Mm-hmm. It just that makes no sense to me. It makes absolutely no sense to me. Yeah, they were social distancing yeah. just by default before COVID was ever uh, <laughs> cultivated, right? I mean, like they yeah. were they they lived socially isolated <laughs> or yeah, distanced. So, you know, I mean, it shouldn't be this shouldn't be a one size fits all kind of proposition here. I get I get it's easier for enforcement, you know, or easier to say you know this applies to everybody, but it's it's also it's cutting into the livelihoods of people that doesn't need to be cutting into, and it, it's making the damage worse. It's like it's pouring lemon juice into the wound. Hmm. Um, it needs to it needs to have more flexibility than that, and we're not seeing a whole heck of a lot of flexibility coming out of this administration, not just with the orders, but with the data and with access to the data and access to ask questions. Um, as a member of the media, we I get the call-in number for the the daily press briefings. The call-in number, <laughs> you know, we've 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 lifted restrictions on being able to eat out and get a haircut, but the press still can't come back into the press press briefing room mm-hmm. and ask questions. We're being lined up like like cordwood in a call-in number. Maybe, and then the administration picks who they want to call on. <laughs> yeah, maybe the governor is just testing out uh, his future chops for you know being a call-in radio host yeah it's it's possible uh you know call <laughs> well, screener you have McCrory with that route <laughs> <That's> so <laughs> caller uh line one you're on the air yes what's your question uh, like that's literally what they're doing they're picking they're call screening everybody and folks yeah. with a byline uh or with an outlet uh like north state journal you and uh, others like the john locke foundation don't get called on um was it the guy from WBT doesn't get called on and you yep. get in early, right? You call in early, you're first in line and it doesn't matter. For the day that he announced uh, the phase two, I was the first person to call into the line. And I know that because the little automated voice told me that hmm. I got in there 25 minutes before the call started. And I sat there on the line and I sat there on the line and about two minutes before the call starts, there's what's called the two minute warning. And this little voice comes on and tells you two minute warning, press two now to, he entered into the question queue. I immediately pressed it. I had my hand poised because I knew it was coming. Boom, hit it. I should have been probably the first or second person in there. Did I get called on? No. As a matter of fact, North State Journal hasn't been able to ask Governor Cooper a question since March 27th. So March 60 27th. days. You're approaching 60 days right now. Yes. Uh, yeah, Nor two- have we had any of our emails returned. Whenever we've had a pressing comment or a question that we really wanted answered, we sent it both to DHHS and to the Cooper administration, and neither one has responded a single time. Now, in the governor's defense, remember, he doesn't use email, remember, from his time as attorney general. Well, he we sent didn't like get an four. answer from a spokesperson either, <laughs> <laughs> which seems to be the preferred method of communication these days. Yeah. Um, and now we're seeing the governor, he'll come out and he'll make a statement about masks, but he won't respond to a, a criticism from the president of the United States himself um it's just there's no rhyme or reason to the communications that we're seeing come out of that office well and, it's yeah it's it's like i, I uh, said uh, last week people need to uh, just at least consider the possibility that he's just not good at managing crises 
it, it needs to be up for consideration. And I know there's a lot of folks in the Raleigh press corps that don't want to entertain that idea. Um, but at some point, you start seeing the behavior and all of the assumptions sort of point you in that one direction. Um, well, there's a track record for that, though. Yeah. I mean, and it, that that kind of got glossed over as well. You know, the the Hurricane Matthew release. Mm-hmm. There's still people who haven't gotten their money from that. You know, I mean, and I shouldn't be laughing because that's a horrible thing, but it's I'm laughing because of the absurdity of it. Um, you know, that that entire operation also went through Mike Sprayberry, the you know, at uh, emergency management, who's also helping to handle this crisis. Right. You know, and I mean, it's. Uh, there's there's a there's a frust yeah there's a level of frustration there. I am actually still waiting on uh, some documentation from that fiasco. <laughs> By the way, that the the Cooper administration still hasn't fulfilled a records request for me for that. I'm waiting on another one that's um, almost three years old now. Uh, yeah, I mean, he'll be out of office by the time I get it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I re- and I remember all of the stories media did about the um, the slow response that Governor Pat McCrory's office um, would uh, provide on some of these document requests. I don't see any of those types of stories on Cooper, and he's and he's worse. Oh, um, he's worse. Yeah. He's way worse. Yeah. It's good to be a Democrat, I guess. Good to be a Democrat and hold office like this. You don't get the kind of questions that you get as a Republican. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, AP Dillon, I appreciate you making time for us today. You can read her work at the North State Journal, nsjonline.com. Keep up the good work. Appreciate it. We'll talk with you again soon. Great. Thanks, Pete. Take care. All right. You too. Along these lines, the other day, Thomas Mills, a Democratic consultant and uh, the guy who runs politicsnc.com, he's actually run for office as a Democrat, um, He wrote a piece called On Phase 2, Cooper Should Try Again. And when you've lost Thomas Mills, I think you're in some trouble as a Democrat. As North Carolina moves into Phase 2 of reopening the economy, Cooper should ask for a do-over. He should meet with advisors and take another shot. His list of what can open and what cannot is too ambiguous. It lacks reason and ignores more recent information about the virus. It also seems to ignore the only way we return to a level normalcy, uh... Protect the vulnerable by tracking and tracing the virus and isolating infected people, not healthy ones. My God, Thomas Mills sounds like a right winger, (laughs) right? Lacks reason. The governor's order lacks reason, is too ambiguous and ignores more recent information about the virus that we we need to protect the vulnerable, isolate the infected people, not the healthy ones. Yeah, This is the stuff that conservatives have been saying but it, it all gets branded as uh, as right wing and anti-science or something gyms movie theaters bowling alleys pre- uh, playgrounds museums the governor should allow them to open with restrictions directives and warnings capacity should be limited in all of these venues and precautions like requiring space between seats and machines or whatever that would help reduce contact. Masks should be required and frequent sanitizing should be mandatory. People should be warned that frequenting these places increases their risk. But at some point, we need people to take personal responsibility for their actions. So now the left is all on board with personal responsibility. It just took the plague. Okay, we cannot stay shut down, he says, until the virus is completely under control. That won't happen until we have a widely produced vaccine or reliable treatment, and we're not likely to have either of those in the near future. The goal should be to protect the vulnerable. 
While there are exceptions, the virus is most deadly to people with underlying conditions, including age. We can more easily identify and protect those likely to be harmed from the virus than we can keep it out of the general population for years. We need to learn how to live with it. Waiting another six weeks won't reduce infection rates substantially if people are not altering their behavior, but it will likely put a lot of small businesses out of business. And then he goes on to say at the very end of this piece, if we had a more progressive government that would sustain the shutdown with payments to businesses and people, maybe staying closed for another six weeks would make more sense. But we don't, because Republicans are not going to raise the revenue necessary to support small businesses and people. So if only the left were in charge, we could raise the taxes on these people who are, uh, you know, going out of business. They're all out of work, but uh, we could we could raise the taxes on all of the businesses and the people and the rich, and then we can give it to the people who aren't working, and then we could stay shut down, but we can't do that because the Republicans are in charge. Um, by the way, why isn't any of that happening in blue states? If this is the solution, why aren't blue state governors doing it? Are you prepared for a disaster? Do you need some advice on how to be prepared for one? Are you looking for military surplus that's real? Well, for more than three decades, the answer has been Old Grouch's Military Surplus in downtown Clyde. It is an old-school traditional store. It's got a mix of modern and vintage items. See my friend Tim. He's going to hook you up. He gets new stuff in all the time. It's American-made because it's real military surplus. Camo, shirts, hats, customized dog tags, gear, Old Grouch is on Main Street, downtown Clyde, across the street from the anti-aircraft gun and at oldgrouch.com. Also, this show is made possible by Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team. Her phone number is 333-4483. Her website is mountainhomehunt.com. I have had good realtors. I've had experience with not-so-good ones. Rowena and her team... They're good ones. They're great ones, actually. They outsell 99% of the real estate agents in the entire state, okay? Call the only agent that I would call if I'm looking for a house or if I'm looking to sell my house. Call Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team, 333-4483, mountainhomehunt.com, and start packing. And finally, the show is also made possible by Schaefer Smith. Have you seen the logo of the Pete Callender show? He did that. If you're trying to set up your website, maybe you need a logo. Call my friend Schaefer Smith at Schaefer Smith Design. He can help you with logos, graphics, photos, an online store, search engine optimization, website maintenance, and security. He does this for professional services, corporations, small businesses, entrepreneurs. If you know now the importance of having a good functional website, Get in touch with Schaefer Smith. Make your site look professional, user-friendly for both your customers and you so you can uh, navigate it and fix it and adapt to whatever the market demands. SchaeferSmith.com. That's SchaeferSmith.com. All righty. Yesterday, the governor of North Carolina, Roy Cooper, he seemed pretty energized during his media briefing. Um, and I, I'm not sure why it... He started off by telling everybody, you know, wear the masks, wash the hands, wait six feet apart from each other, the three W's, you know. Uh, then he talked about how great his administration has been doing. But he did it all with this tone and delivery that was obviously more animated than any of his past performances, where, as I've, you know, described it, he seems to be in this perpetual wrestling match with his teeth and tongue when he talks. And anyway, um, maybe I'm, ju I'm just spitballing here. Maybe, though, 
he was well-rested after the Memorial Day weekend. Maybe that's what was going on, right? Not a nice long weekend, three days, whatever. He got, he got a haircut. Maybe, maybe that played a role. Uh, or maybe, again, just spitballing, maybe he knew there was going to be a national audience for this performance, and he knows that he needs to perform well in order to inspire confidence to a lot of these out-of-state donors that he's going to need to get reelected, right, to raise all of this money, because that's what Cooper has really relied on is a lot of these out-of-state interests uh, to you know to beat Macquarie and uh, and now to run for re-election. It's what Cooper does, um, right? He solicits these out-of-state uh, organizations. Uh, he did it with the HB2 fight. He did it with the election. He's doing it now. So he needs to present uh, sort of a confident, dynamic presence at this press briefing again i don't know this for sure i'm just just throwing this out there it might have had something to do with the uh president's tweets about north carolina not opening quickly enough and that this might prompt the president to move the republican national convention so uh first off here just take a listen you can hear the dynamism in cooper's delivery yesterday versus the audio clips you've heard on this show in the past since this pandemic emerged congress passed legislation setting up the coronavirus relief fund for state governments north carolina is slated to receive 3.56 billion dollars from that fund and although the state was not required to, my COVID-19 budget proposal recommended $300 million go directly to local governments, including both counties and municipalities. In this special legislative session we had, ultimately, the unanimous bipartisan budget I signed included $150 million for counties, which have the flexibility to share with towns and cities if they want to. Today, we're pleased to announce that by the end of this week, we'll have processed payments for 59 counties for a total of $85 million, and we expect more counties to submit requests soon. This money is crucial for local governments to help pay for health and public safety officials, telemedicine, personal protective equipment, and more. The quick distribution of this money is thanks to our Office of State Budget and Management and our new North Carolina Pandemic Recovery Office. This new office was created to oversee the distribution of state and federal money in response to COVID-19. He's starting to he, he's starting This to team will offer technical assistance uh, for governments and groups which receive relief funds and oversight for how that money is allocated. And this office will also assist with boosting our state's strategic economic recovery uh -oh. as we rebuild from this pandemic. In conversations with our congressional delegation, oh, oh. the president and the vice president, I've shared that our state needs more help, but we also need more flexibility in how that money is invested. Because of the economic effects of this pandemic, State and local governments are losing revenue that support our schools, our law enforcement, EMS, and other critical services. Governors from across the country, from both political parties, are clear that Congress needs to do more to help stabilize state and local government. And I'll keep working with our congressional delegation from here in North Carolina to help make that happen. All right. So kind of a national message, right? 
I mean, check us out. We're doing great things. I want more money for state and local governments, but we need flexibility. And uh, I'm going to, you know, keep lobbying Congress to do these things, which is sort of an interesting way to start a press conference off when you've uh, when he initially rolled out the numbers, which he always does, it started all his press conferences, and we had the largest uh, single-day increases in hospitalizations and confirmed cases over the weekend. Uh, so remember, all of that's on a leg, so that's like two weeks prior, and so now people are wondering, like, oh my gosh, phase one opened, we're in phase two, or kind of two. Um, so when the original, we we moved from the lockdown to phase one, um, is that what prompted all of this? So he's, to, look, to me, it's pretty obvious. It is obvious that they tailored their message knowing that there was going to be a lot of interest in watching the governor's comments yesterday because of what the president did over the weekend, the day before, Memorial Day, Monday. Uh, he had tweeted out about the RNC stuff. Um, so then he says that even though we're in phase two, the governor says we got to stay alert. Over the weekend, we saw the highest one-day increases, right, in positive cases, the highest uh, day of hospitalizations so far. And then he brings Dr. Mandy Cohen, the Secretary of Health and Human Services, um, brings her on, and she says, uh, you know, look, I had a great weekend, too. We went hiking. It was fantastic. But she urged everybody to keep doing the three Ws. And then she pointed to NASCAR as a good example that the masses should emulate since we don't have a cure and we don't have a vaccine we have to learn to live as safely as possible with this virus we know from decades of public health research that there are three simple things that each of us can do to protect all of us again as the governor said those three w so critical wearing a cloth face covering waiting six feet apart washing your hands frequently our health and our economy depend on it and it's possible to do this well. NASCAR ran the Coca-Cola 600 without spectators and used appropriate social distancing, face covering, hand hygiene, and signage. They took precautions seriously and had a great event that was enjoyed by millions. Let's all take the precautions that NASCAR did. <laughs> Remember, you could have COVID-19 and not have any symptoms. By wearing a face covering, you can protect those around you from getting sick. And with more than half of North Carolinians at higher risk of developing severe illness from COVID-19, you may be saving a life. Okay, so maybe I'm just too cynical on this stuff, but my goodness, the the constant referencing of the NASCAR race, I, I just sort of get a sense that that they're pointing to the NASCAR event in order to say, see, all you stupid people that follow NASCAR, they did it. They wore masks. They washed their hands. <laughs> and if they're doing it, you should do it too. And look, I get it. It's part of the education thing. You got to, you know, drill this into, it's marketing, right? You got to drill this into the public consciousness that the three W's, the waiting, the washing, and the wearing the mask, like, but you also, it's helpful if you see examples of this, right? People walking around with it. Uh, it is kind of amazing. Like, if you wear the mask, you get the dirty looks from people who aren't wearing masks. And if you're not wearing the mask, you get the dirty looks from people who are. It's it's, uh, it's just so frustrating. Like, I, I literally don't care about what other people are doing with the masks. I don't. Like, I'm going to wear the mask. And uh, because, you know, I, I figure every little bit helps. 
And I understand it's a very, very little bit, but every little bit helps. Um, anyway, so uh, NASCAR is doing it. You should, too. Uh, that's the message here. The director of emergency management, then Mike Sprayberry, gets up there and he announces that more of the uh, protection equipment is going out to the nursing homes and the long-term care facilities, which it's about time. Today is day 78 of the State Emergency Operations Center's COVID-19 response. Today, we begin our second full week of distributing personal protective equipment to long-term care facilities across the state. We will have five regional drive-through distribution centers this week in Cullowhee in the far west, Buncombe County near Asheville, two days in Raleigh, and Edenton in the east. At these events, facilities from approximately 24 counties will be picking up supplies. Long-term care homes are receiving a two-week supply of protective equipment. For some of these facilities, this is their only reliable source for the PPE they need to protect their patients and staff. We thank our partners with the Office of EMS and other DHS agencies and the National Guard, Civil Air Patrol, and state and local emergency managers who are working hard to prepare for and operate these distribution events. As we continue to obtain and distribute personal protective equipment from our warehouses, our supply of isolation gowns is improving. Good. That item of PPE has been very hard to get, Hmm. but some shipments have been coming in over the past two weeks. We now have a little over 200,000 ISO gowns in our warehouses. That's a little less than a 30-day supply. We'll continue to aggressively source and purchase PPE items, particularly gowns and N95 masks, which remain our most needed items. So think about this, though. We're three months into this pandemic. We know that these congregate living facilities are the highest risk settings with the worst outbreaks and the most deaths. And the PPE distribution model is still operating basically like a food drop after a hurricane. Not All right, don't get me wrong. It's a good idea. We want to be focusing on getting the supplies to the places that need them the most, better late than never. But it seems a bit, I don't know, underwhelming. He said 24 counties. That's who's getting these supplies this week. So last week there was another. Let's say it was a comparable effort. So now we're at, what, 48 out of 100 counties? 48. So we're not even halfway there. And the, yeah, and so some of these facilities, they're not getting any of this stuff from anywhere else. It's it just seems a bit underwhelming at this point. And maybe that's just, you know, there's not enough supplies out there. I I don't know. But um, particularly due to how long we have known that this is where the PPE needs to go. I don't know. I'm I'm, it's good. I don't want to knock the effort. I just think it, you know, there need it probably is a little bit too little too late at this point. Um then they move to the Q&A from the media, where the governor's comms team, they choose which reporters get the privilege of asking the governor a question. And the first person out of the gate to ask a question uh, was Jim Morrill. And this is important. Jim Morrill is the politics reporter for the Charlotte Observer for like 30 years. Uh, I worked with Jim when I was down in Charlotte. He was always at the uh, the political events that I was at. He had this he still does this uh, clipboard. He's got this old clipboard, and he's got all these you know po- uh, campaign stickers and stuff all over it from all of these different campaigns that go back, you know, thirty years. So it's pretty neat. He's got the, the clipboard thing. But the fact that he's the first one to get called is important because you call on Jim Morrill when you know that you want to 
get a politics-related question. It's going to be a politics-related question because that's Jim's beat, and everybody knows it. First, I want to ask you what your reaction was to the president's tweets about the convention yesterday. And secondly, when do you think you might be able to give him the assurances that he asked for? And what would you need to know to make that decision? I'm not surprised by anything that I see on Twitter. I will say that it's okay for political conventions to be political, but pandemic response cannot be. Already, we've been in talks with the (laughs) RNC about the kind of convention that they would need to run and the kind of options that we need on the table. We're talking about something that's going to happen three months from now, and we don't know what our situation is going to be regarding COVID-19 in North Carolina. These are the same kind of conversations that we're having with the Carolina Panthers, the Charlotte Hornets, other large arena owners. Everybody wants to get back into action soon, but I think everybody knows that we have to take some steps to make sure that people are protected because this virus is still going to be with us in August and we're going to have to take uh, steps to protect people. We have asked the RNC to present to us in writing their proposals. Uh, We've had discussions with them about a very limited convention all the way up and we want to see in writing what their plans are. We asked NASCAR to do the very same thing, and NASCAR did a good job this weekend of executing their plan of face coverings, of social distancing, signage, cleaning. We want to see from the RNC what their plans are, and we have asked them to submit those plans to our public health officials. Uh, They have someone hired to, to advise them as well. And we look forward to the back and forth on that. We'd like to reach a resolution that everybody can be reasonable about that puts public health, safety, the science, and the facts as the number one thing we're trying to do here. So we look forward to those continued conversations. The science and data and facts, oh my. Um, I am not convinced that that was not on the teleprompter. Seriously, I'm... I'm not, for real, like I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent confident that that was not on the teleprompter. In other words, I think it was, I think that was scripted. I'm, well, I know that the words that he said at the beginning were crafted. I know this, uh, because about 20 minutes later, he gets asked whether he had any indication that, uh, Donald Trump was growing impatient with the pace of the reopening in North Carolina. And, Uh, Here is what he replied when asked that question. We're continuing our discussions with the RNC. I'm really not surprised at anything that happens on Twitter during this COVID-19 pandemic. Hmm. We're continuing our discussions with the RNC and going to continue to put health and safety at the forefront. We have asked them to present a plan on paper to us. Right. So the same answer. So here you go. This was the first question he got from Jim Morrill. I'm not surprised by anything that I see on Twitter. And then here was the second answer. 
I'm really not surprised that anything that happens on Twitter during this COVID-19 pandemic. Right. So, so that line was written. That line was scripted, just like the there's no room for politics in a pandemic. And then they just kind of tweaked it uh, for his answer once again. I'm not surprised by anything that I see on Twitter. And I will say that it's okay for political conventions to be political, Mm. but pandemic response cannot be. There you go. So it's the same thing he said a couple of weeks ago when Dan Forrest and the Republicans made some comments and he said uh, there's no room for politics in a pandemic or something like that. So they're definitely working on that alliteration, politics, pandemic language. They're definitely honing that like a stand-up comic on a you know Midwest tour. They're uh, really tightening up the set. So, um, but this this uh, not surprised by anything on Twitter comment. That's a way to take a shot at the president and everybody else. By the way, in North Carolina politics, that is on Twitter. Uh, it's a way to take a shot at all of those folks, uh, but not actually say the president's name. Um, but I'm not convinced. He didn't read it right off of the teleprompter because he kept looking straight at the teleprompter when he delivered the remarks uh, the first time. And also, he called on Jim Morrill the first time. That's what you do when you want to take the question. So they were looking to take the question. Okay. Um, Then Michael Hyland from CBS 17, he asks about the increases in the number of cases and the hospitalizations. And specifically, what do they think this is due to? Uh, Mandy Cohen Uh, Health and Human Services Secretary, she says uh, there's no one thing that they can attribute the increase to. We know that our case count will go up because we are doing a lot more testing. But again, I think we need to understand all of the factors going into this. We're seeing that while we're doing more testing, we're seeing uh, outbreaks in in lots of different parts of our state. We certainly see uh, the number of cases increasing at some of our urban centers around the state, but in some of our rural areas where we have some of our critical infrastructure uh, facilities that require them to continue to operate. We have seen folks that, that have contracted the virus and are spreading the virus working closely with them, obviously, to do the tracing and additional testing to try to uh, make sure that we don't spread the virus further. We obviously can continue to do the work in our congregate settings to make sure that we aren't seeing further spread there. But it goes back to what we said in our opening remarks is that we have to learn to live with this virus and not have it overwhelm our healthcare system. We want to save lives. Okay. Um, So what was her answer? Did you follow any of that? What was what what is this attributed to? What is the increase attributed to? And she says there's no one thing. And then she proceeds to list literally every single reason why the case counts could go up. Testing. She says outbreaks in different areas of the state, like urban and rural areas. Oh, okay. And uh, then she mentions critical infrastructure in the rural areas. That is code for meat processing plants. And uh, then she says, oh, we're, and we're continuing to do the work in the congregate care facilities. And if it's anything like the work they've been doing, yikes, because that's where most of the cases and deaths are occurring. We have known this now for weeks, weeks. We have known longer, actually months. We have known this long term care uh, facilities and uh, nursing homes and meat processing plants. This is where the outbreaks are occurring. Generally speaking, I mean, we don't have a subway system that, uh, you know, we cannot sanitize and act as a superseding uh, uh, spreader. But uh, so, you know, barring that, uh, these are the these are the places where the outbreaks tend to occur. 
and are the most lethal when it comes to actually the, the nursing homes. But she doesn't tell us, like, well, what does this do to? And she says, well, it's due to all of this stuff. What are the, the number increases? And it's because of all of these other things that have led to increases in case numbers in general. So it's not a specific answer. And this is really important. I'm, and I'm not being nitpicky here. I, this is really important because when you say, oh, my gosh, all of the numbers have gone up. But why have they gone up? Was there an outbreak at one nursing home in one county and that drove all the numbers up? Is that what happened? Or is that not what happened? Was there an outbreak just in some random suburb someplace? What does it do to? Where are the outbreaks occurring? In another question then about specifically the meat processing plants, she said that they are responding to those outbreaks, but they're not required to report the outbreaks. The plants aren't. The processing plants are not required to report them. Yes, as we talk about a critical infrastructure like our meat processing plants, yes, they need to stay open, but are also places where the virus does transmit easily because folks need to work closer together. They're in a cold environment and it's loud and so they're often shouting. So we have worked closely with them to do things like put up barriers, make sure folks have um, uh, coverings on their face uh, to make sure if we have to slow down a production line in order to social distance. That's what they do, as the governor mentioned. Um, We've brought testing as well, either on site or close by so that folks can know whether or not they have COVID-19 and can stay home if they do. So those are the kinds of things that we do on the public health side. And I will say it is really our local health department that really have been the on the ground uh, uh, folks working hard on this. So I want to thank them for their efforts. As we've said many times before, these industries are not ones that are required to report to uh, our local health departments or the state. We find out about these largely because they come to the attention of the local health departments because we want them to. We want to offer our help and assistance and making sure we slow the spread of the virus. So we very much want them to get in contact with us. However, it is not a required reporting. So we do not have a systematic way of knowing about all of the pieces of this of this pie here but we know about a lot of them we want to assist and we do assist Um, when it is an industry that we do regulate like a congregate living setting like a nursing home those are required by law to report to us uh, those outbreaks so it's a different situation in terms of of how we come to know about some of these things so the nursing home industry long-term care and such is regulated by Health and Human Services. So they can require that industry to report the data to DHHS. By the way, two-thirds of all the COVID deaths in North Carolina were at nursing homes. Two-thirds. So you're the regulatory agency. Two-thirds of all the deaths are occurring in the industry that you regulate. I mean, I don't know if that inspires confidence you know, for you. It doesn't necessarily inspire it for me. But I do find it interesting here that the meat processing plants don't have to report to DHHS if they've got an outbreak going on. Now, they can ask for help from DHHS, but they don't have to report. There's no requirement. And she says, well, you know, because we don't regulate that industry. Okay, but you're telling me then that the governor of North Carolina has the power to shut down Every single business in the state for three months, but cannot order the reporting of an outbreak at a meat processor. 
That's what I'm to believe. Did anybody ask that question? No, they did not. Maybe somebody didn't think of it. Maybe they did think of it, but they just couldn't get past the call screening comms staff that the governor employs to make sure he doesn't look bad on his questions. The death rate from the nursing homes is important. It is probably the most important piece of data that we need to know, the death rate in uh, nursing homes, because it so skews all of the data for the rest of the state. 42% nationally, 42% of all COVID deaths are in nursing homes and assisted living facilities. 42%. And North Carolina's 63.3% of COVID deaths were at nursing homes. This comes from the Foundation for Research on Equal Opportunity, uh, researched by Greg Gervon. I had him on the program a couple of weeks ago. Their website is freopp, freeop.org. The disease affects the elderly far more severely on average than younger individuals. But it turns out that among those who are elderly, the deaths are actually concentrated even further among those living in long-term care facilities. You're much more likely to die if you're old and in one of these facilities versus being old and not in one of the facilities. According to the CDC, 5 million people live in nursing homes or residential care facilities. That represents 1.6% of the U.S. population. Yet residents in these facilities account for 42% of all the deaths, right? 1.6% of the population accounts for 42% of all the deaths. The U.S. is not an outlier, when it comes to this, a study by researchers at the International Long-Term Care Policy Network, their uh, research of fatalities in Austria, Australia, Belgium, Canada, Denmark, France, Germany, Hong Kong, Hungary, Ireland, Israel, Norway, Portugal, Singapore, South Korea, Spain, Sweden, and the UK all found 41% of reported COVID fatalities took place in nursing homes. It's in line. We are in line with these other nations. The policy implications are significant. So there are substantial flaws in the way that we have managed this pandemic, and much more attention has to be paid to the risk of infection in nursing homes, especially through nursing home staff who work at multiple facilities. The governor and the Health and Human Services Secretary, they need to start addressing this more specifically. That's a wrap for this episode. Thanks so much for your support. Talk to you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone. 